Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 30th of October 2016, entitled Back to Bethel. And the Bible readings are taken from Genesis chapter 28 verses 1 to 4 and 10 to 19, Genesis chapter 31 verses 11 to 13, and Genesis chapter 35 verses 1 to 3. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Open your Bibles this morning. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground quickly, but it's really a very simple thought that we want to pull out of all of this. And uh, so I'd like to, uh, I'd like to, first of all, if you want to open your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 35, Genesis chapter 35, and if you'll just kind of hold your finger there, turn back just a couple of pages to Genesis chapter uh, 31. And just hold your finger there and turn back to Genesis chapter 28. I'm just going to read a few verses from each of these chapters and then we'll summarize a lot of the things in between because it really helps us to see in all of this the content and the context of what we want to see this morning. In Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, I invite you to stand in honor of God's holy and precious word, as we read it from Genesis chapter 28, verse 1, it says, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise. Go to Pandanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother, and God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. So here we find Isaac sending his son Abraham out or his, his son Jacob out with the blessing of Abraham that was before him. Look down in verse 10, and Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took up the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and beheld a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. 
And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, or as we would say today, Bethel. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Now, if you'll turn over to chapter 31, and notice what it says in verses 11 to 13. The angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me, now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. And then in Genesis chapter 35, verse 1 says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. Father, we thank you again this morning for this privilege we have of looking into your word. Now help us, Lord, as we look at these pages before us. I pray, Lord, that you would take that which we need this morning because, Lord, you not only know the faces of these that are here, but you know the hearts. You know the needs. You know what each one needs. So, Father, we pray that the needs of each human being would be met as only you can, that the lost might be saved, that the backslider might be restored that the child of God, Lord, might be strengthened and encouraged and drawn closer to you than ever before. Do the work in our hearts, Lord, that will have an impact on our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. So we find that in the reading before us, and I, our simple thought this morning, if you would, and this kind of came to me as I was praying in preparation for, of course, our, our church anniversary next week. At that time, I'll be trying to give you a bit of the, the history, as much as I know of it, of our church here and how it began and where it began and, and, uh, and bringing us up to, to where we are now. But I was thinking about the name of our church, Bethel. And, of course, Bethel literally, as we've seen in Scripture, means house of God. The name came there when it was the special place that Jacob met with God and knew God's presence. And he named it that place as the house of God, the place where that, that God would, would reside. And as I began thinking about all the, the years that this church has been here, for the many souls that have been saved over the years, for the lives that have been changed, for those that have come in and out through these doors, for those of us that are here now. And I wondered, you know, sometimes we just take these things for granted, but is this place really Bethel for us? Is it a place where we truly meet with God? 
not just a formality of coming in between these walls and going through our religious things, but a place that's special because not of the material that we find around us, not of just the fellowship as much as we love it and enjoy it, because it's a place where God works in our lives and our hearts and we meet him and we know him and we know his presence. And of course, it also reminded me of the fact that, you know, all of us, if we're honest, there have been times in our lives when we've been closer to God and times when we really aren't that close. And that's a few of the things that I want us just to take a really quick glance at Jacob here. And in our readings this morning, we've jumped from the time that he was really being sent out by his father. But he was being sent out with that blessing, that Abrahamic blessing that his seed was going to bring a blessing to all the world. And that God was going to be sure of that. And he, and he sent him out with that promise. And he, he told him there in verse 15, And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places, whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. We find that at this point, Jacob heads out from his home, from his family. And the Bible teaches us in this reading that he heads to the east toward the city called, called Haran. And if we were to read all the verses in between, which I'll try to summarize real quickly, when he got there, he found this well that was there in the midst of a field and then it had a top over the top of it. And of course, it's where that when he got there, there were these shepherds that were there with their, their sheep. And it was the place where that all those in the surrounding area would, would bring their flocks in order to, to give them the water that they needed. And of course, when his father had sent him out, he had sent him specifically to that region because he did not want him marrying one of the daughters of Canaan he wanted him to go there to make his life and to find his wife. And it was there that he met Rachel. And, you know, that's when his heart started to pound all funny and he started to get all funny-eyed and he started to see visions like he'd never seen before because it was love at first sight. And, I mean, he did. He just fell head over heels. He just knew this woman was something special. And, and of course, that led to her going back. He told her who he was and why he was there. And she goes back and she tells her dad, who is Jacob's uncle, and, and this meeting takes place with them. And so Jacob is welcomed into the home. And the Bible teaches us that he spent about a, a month there uh, with time with them. But then, uh, but then it was time for Jacob and Laban to have this conversation because if Jacob was going to stay there, then he needed to earn his wages. And of course, it was also the time that Jacob spoke to him about wanting his daughter's hand in marriage, that he was willing to work for that. And so Jacob and Laban came to this agreement that he would serve him for seven years, and at the end of that seven years that he would give him his daughter's hand in marriage, and he does. And at the end of that, there's this great feast and they bring everybody in and there's this, this big wedding ceremony and feast and they're all glorious and uh, everything is just fine. So the next morning, Jacob wakes up and realizes that it wasn't Rachel that had been brought into him, but it was her older sister, Leah. And so he's worked these seven years and all for his, his heart's love, Rachel, and then suddenly he's married to another woman, her older sister, 
And of course, Laban explains to him that it wouldn't be right. It would be against our custom to give away the younger daughter before the firstborn. She's the one that has to go first. So they agree that he'll work seven more years for the hand of Rachel. Now he's not going to have one, but he's going to have two wives. (laughs) So he goes out and he spends that seven years and Rachel becomes his wife. But the Bible tells us that you know, Rachel was much more favored, and Leah was, was, was kind of shunned. And so God, in that instance, opened Leah's womb to be able to bear children for Jacob, but he closed the womb of Rachel. And if we read on, there's quite a few verses there that tell us how that Leah bears six sons and one daughter, and Rachel has not bared any children yet. They also had a little bit of help from the handmaidens, and we find that each of them bore two children, and that meant that he ended up with 10 sons and one daughter, so he had uh, 11. But then finally, Rachel is allowed to give birth, and that's when Joseph is born. And Joseph was born, and so we find that it was to him that later also the younger brother Benjamin, and we all know the accounts of what happened with Joseph and later with Benjamin. But Jacob was then ready to leave. Once he had his son by Rachel. And of course, in in, in all of this, there were there were some things that weren't quite the same. And if you look there in, in chapter 30. And notice, and notice what it says in verse 32. It says, I will pass through all the flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle and all the brown cattle among the sheep and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and of such shall be my hire. You see, Jacob is wanting to leave, but Laban doesn't want him to go. And we find that this is the wages, again, that are agreed upon. And, but then before anything can happen, Laban removes for about three days' travel away from there all the herds before that he can get his. And Jacob then sets up these rods and at the watering troughs. And we find in, in, in verse 39, it tells us, And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle, ring-straked, speckled, and spotted, and of course, Jacob actually was pulling a little trickery of his own here, and he was only using it the, the strongest cattle to where, as these were being divided, he was getting the strongest, and Laban was being left with the weakest. Of course, he knew that the only reason that Laban had any flocks at all was because of him, because of God's blessing upon him. The Bible tells us that Jacob increased exceedingly. He was just getting more and more wealthy all the time. And so then Laban's other sons began to get all jealous and they were, they were disgruntled and Laban wasn't acting the same towards them as he used to. And that's where in chapter 31, verse 3, and the Lord said unto Jacob, return unto the land of thy fathers to thy kindred and I will be with thee. Now remember for a second, Jacob is sent out from his people. And he sent out with the promise of God, the, the Abrahamic covenant upon him, that God was going to be with him, that God was going to bless him, that God was going to, through his seed, 
bless the whole world. And so he's gone out and he's got his wives and now he's got his families and whatnot. But now it's God saying to Jacob, now it's time to return. It's time to go back to where I brought you from. So Jacob goes and he explains to his wives the whole situation and everything that is, that is going on. He explains to him that things aren't the same, that his brothers, her brothers are jealous and even Laban's not the same towards him as he used to be and, and all of these things. And so that's when we find down in verses 11 that we read earlier, and the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here am I. Lift up thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ringstraked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee, and I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowedst a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. Now, I want us to pause there, and I want to ask you one simple question. What was Bethel? Remember, when Jacob first left, that's the place when he got away because Isaac had, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Isaac had talked to Jacob, but he had told him about the covenant that had been made with his father, Abraham. And of course, when he sends him out, he explains all this, but as Jacob had left, he has this dream from God. And it's God then that promises him that he's going to go with him, that he's going to be with him. And and we find that, first of all, Bethel was a geographical place. It was just, it was a, a location where Jacob ended up after he left home. That was the place where he ended up that we find him, himself personally meeting with God, with what God was going to do with him. He was following his dad's instructions, but he meets with God. And so it was a geographical location, literally, where he built those stones but what really excited him was that it was a place of spiritual blessing, a place of victory. This was where God had spoken to him. He knew that it was God that was speaking to him. This was the place where that promises were made both ways. I mean, he had met with God and God had promised him things and, and he had promised God things. It was a place where the God had even reconfirmed the promises that had been made to his dad and to his granddad and those that were before him. You see, what I want you to recognize is Bethel was a real place. Yes, it was a real geographical, physical place, but the thing that made it special when, when he awoke, when he had met with God there, he absolutely, the Bible says he just, he just absolutely couldn't believe it, you know, that it, was, that it was God, that he was a mess. Matter of fact, it said there in chapter 28, verse 17, it says, well, in verse 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. I mean, I came here, and I laid down, and I went to sleep, and God was here, and I didn't even realize it. And notice the next words, it says, he was afraid. And he said, how dreadful is this place where you think about, well, that don't sound very exciting. No, he was afraid. He was afraid not in a way of fearing that God was going to hurt him, but he had this fearful, many times in the Bible, it speaks of this fearful respect. He knew that it was almighty God that he had met with there. And so he says, this is none other but the house of God, and this is the very gate of heaven. 
We find that he called this place Bethel because it was the place where God was. He called it the house of God because it was this place of real spiritual blessing from him. Now, what I want you to grasp and understand is that, yes, that's where the name of this church comes from. But it's not the same geographical location for everybody. We would hope and pray that those that are part of this church, that it would be a place of spiritual blessing that had that special place in your heart. But what I want you to realize is that our Bethel can be any place geographically. It's that place, that special blessing where that we know that we've met with God and that God has, has communicated with us and we've communicated with him and our life has been changed because it's where God was. We find that at this point, Jacob, he literally flees secretly when he goes to leave, to leave Laban. And as they're leaving, Rachel, you know, again, because of the things that happening, what are, they were all doing, she actually steals her father's images that were important to him. And so then Laban follows after them and he's searching for them. And when he, when he finally finds them, he's going through and he, he's searching all the tents. But Laban was warned before he went into the cap, camp of Jacob. He was warned that he needed to be careful what he said and what he did because of who Jacob was and Jacob's God. He needed to be careful what he said and that he, he didn't treat him in the wrong way or speak in the wrong way. We find that as he gets there, <laughs> He searches and searches for these, for these images, but he can't find them. Why? Because Rachel was sitting on top of them. She had hid them underneath herself, and she was sitting on the images. And her father's got, and she's actually apologizing. Dad, please forgive me, but it wouldn't be right for me to stand up. This is the right thing for me to do in the presence of all these, these men and whatnot. And she puts up an excuse, and she's sitting on them the whole time. And Laban goes out, and he can't find them, and... You know, he and Jacob had this conversation, well, what were you hoping, you know, to find and all this? And so we find that he leaves them there because he couldn't find them. And, of course, they make a covenant. They make a covenant between each other at that point. And basically, they would say, hey, look, these are my daughters. These are my grandchildren. You know, we, we, we can't be fighting. We can't be enemies. And they make this, this truce, this covenant between them. But, of course, Jacob carries on with his journeys, and he's still got all this relationship that we've looked at before between him and Esau. When Esau was upset because Jacob had gotten his birthright, and, of course, Esau's then coming when he is, uh, is sending for Esau, trying to find him. And he's got, we've looked at this in other uh, messages. He's coming with all these men, and, and Jacob gets frightened, and he begins to divide his, his, his people into two different parties just in case that Esau tries to wipe them out, that some of them will survive. And eventually they, they meet, and the gifts are offered, and the truces are made, and Esau declines, and finally Esau accepts, and they agree to go back separately because they're young and feeble with Jacob and they're not going to be able to travel as fast. But we find that Jacob stops at this place called Sukkoth and he builds a house there and he builds booze for the cattle. In other words, man, he's, he's settling in there. Well, I don't think that's where God told him to go to. 
But he decides that that's where he's going to stay. And then he gets up and he leaves from there later and he stops at another place called Shalom. And there he pitches his tent. And now this time he's getting really serious because this time he goes and buys a piece of land from, from Hamar, who uh, is the one that owns the land where he's pitched his tent. And we find that he sets his place up there and he builds an altar there and he calls it El Elohi Israel, God, the God of Israel. And we find that Jacob was there. The Bible teaches us, there's a little subtitle in my Bible says where he begins to reap the harvest of his evil years, of his disobedience. We find that it's there. Remember, we talked about all of the, the children that he had because out of all of those 12 sons, there was one daughter. Her name was Dinah. And so it's there that, that actually the, the son of the one Shechem that he had bought the, uh, the land from uh, comes to, uh, to, to get her, and uh, he has inappropriate relations with her, and he takes her back and defiles her, which is a serious, serious, serious matter. But then he decides that he loves her, and so he wants her hand in marriage, and so he goes to, 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 to Jacob and the family, and he gets his dad to go in his place to start with, and then uh, they go back and they try to talk him into, you know, whatever we can do, I want, I want this woman to be my wife, and I'll, I'll pay whatever you want to pay and all this. But, of course, he'd already defiled her. <laughs> he'd gone around, he'd, he'd gotten all this in, in, in backward order. And I'm going to tell you something. Her brothers were being the natural big brothers. They were protective over their little sister, and so they weren't happy at all. And they actually, there as they agree to these things, because then Shechem is trying to get him to agree to stay, to stay there where he's at. And, of course, the sons then very deceptively say, well, if we're going to stay, then all of your men are going to have to be circumcised like us. That's going to have to take place. That's, that's the only way that we can, that we can stay with and, and it be okay with our God and all this. And, and so then they went back, and they had to convince all the men in the city that this was going to take place. And actually, it was because of their selfishness, because they were looking at all the wealth of, of Jacob and his family, and they thought, okay, well, we'll do this, because look at all the wealth he's going to be bringing to our city. And so they are all circumcised. But then a couple of days later, I think it was the third day, Jacob's sons, Dinah's brothers, two of them go into the city with their swords. and They slay every man there because they're all medically at that time very sore. They've all had surgery. They're all not in good shape. And they, that's their plan the whole time. That's what they set it up. And they went in there and they just slew all the men while they were in this physically uh, bad way. And when Jacob found out about that, he wasn't pleased. But even more than not being pleased, he was afraid, man, what are, what are these other people around here going to do to us now when they find out that this is what we've done? And so we find that they see that they're going to have to leave again, and they take all their, all their cattle with them because he was afraid of what would happen if he stayed. So... What was Bethel? It was a place where that it was so special because it was a place where he had met with God. And his life had changed completely. It was a meeting like nothing that he'd ever had in his life. 
and God's promises. God promised he was going to go with him. He was going to be with him. But I want to ask you a question. That's where he was. And, and I hope that you've been at that place in your life. And there's two things that I hope that you'll grasp this morning. If you've never been to Bethel, if you've never been to the place where that you personally met with God and that your life was changed because of what he did for you, because of that presence, then I hope you'll recognize your need for that today. But if you're here as a child of God and you've been to that place, you've been close to God, you've heard his voice, you know his voice, you've felt and seen his blessings on your life, but you know that you're not there now. And I hope that you'll recognize that as well. But I hope that you'll recognize that God hasn't moved. Jacob was the only one doing the moving. God hasn't gone anywhere. And we find that I asked myself a couple of simple questions. We've said what Bethel is. Well, how did he leave Bethel? How did Jacob leave this place of special blessing, this place of a special relationship, this place of where God was so real in his life? How did he leave there? Well, one thing is because we find that he began to focus more on the place that he was at rather than the Lord. God had sent him to one place, but before he got to where God sent him, he saw other places that he wanted to be. We find that he began to make a lot of vows and promises, not the ones that God had made and not the ones that he and God had made, but in his own strength, in his own flesh. He was trusting too much in what he had built and what he had accomplished for himself. We find that he failed to trust and really cultivate the blessing that God had upon him. That's evidenced in a lot of things, but even in the fact of when he began to trick his father-in-law with the cattle so that he would end up with the strongest one, he was kind of helping God out a little bit because God had promised to bless him, and all these blessings were because of him, so he was just naturally okay to be able to make sure he got the best for himself and left the worst for his father-in-law because his father-in-law shouldn't have had anything in the first place. And this is what he tried to convince himself, and this is what he acted upon. We find that he entered a time of focusing on his self-will rather than God's will. And, and if you haven't recognized yet that you have a self-will, what you want to do instead of what God wants to do with your life. You see, we find that when he pitched his tent and he bought that parcel of land, that wasn't where God had sent him to settle down. That wasn't God's will for his life. How did he know that? Because God had said it. I know sometimes that sometimes it takes some time with God to figure out exactly what his will is in our life. But folks, when he's told you, then there's no excuse. It's like people come sometimes and they talk about, well, I don't know if it's this God's will to do this and God's will to do that. And I can look them straight in the eye and say, I know it's God's will for you to do that. Why? Because he's already told you in his word that it's his will for you to do that. We don't have to go back and ask God if what he's already told us is what he wants of us or not. Find that he left a place of blessing also because of a failure to really keep the faith that he had at Bethel. We see that in his fear. When he began to fear, he was afraid of what other people were going to do to him. 
God had already told him he was going to go with him. He was going to protect him. He was going to bless the world through him. But yet he still feared what others would do. We find that his tendency to lean on the world, you see, he stopped to, to dwell in these other places, but every time that he stopped, you'll find that it was near the world's cities, near where the other people were, near the things of this world, rather than focusing upon where God wanted him to be. May I say this? Probably one of the gravest was because of his failure to reprove sin. His failure to reprove sin. When Hamor and, 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 and Shechem came because of what they had done to his daughter, instead of standing up because of the sin, uh, he was willing to compromise. It was his sons that went out and, 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 and took vengeance on it, and I'm not saying... Abraham wasn't told to do that, but Abraham shouldn't have compromised and been willing to just let the thing go. But it was, he was afraid of what their reactions would be, and therefore, because of that fear, he was willing to compromise instead of doing what was right. So there's other things. That's just These are things that are so obvious in what we've seen and what we've looked at. Bethel was the place where he met with God like he never had before. His life was changed at that point. Promises were made between him and God. God had a direction for his life, and he sent him in that direction. But we see in all these steps how that he left Bethel. He left Bethel because of these different things. And folks, there are all kind of things. These are just a few of Jacob's. It could be something totally different in your life. Have you left Bethel, have you left the place of blessing? Have you left the place where, where God is so close that it's almost frightening? God is there. He's near. You know his presence. He's talking to you, and you're talking to him. You know. We find that all these different things can cause us to leave that place. But the real question is, if, if you've been there and you've left, how do you get back to it? Well, the reading that we, the last reading that we took in chapter 35 was when he went back to Bethel. We read those places where that Bethel had a part. He left and he was there. God sent him back, and then he arrives back there. I want you to notice, first of all, in chapter 35, verse 1, and God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. First of all, it takes recognition. <laughs> recognition that you're not where you need to be. Recognition that you're not in the place, whether it's geographical or spiritual, you're not in the place that God wants you to be. You're not in the place where your relationship with God is everything that it should be. The place where you know God's voice and you know God's will. We find that the first thing is that Jacob had to recognize he wasn't there. God is saying to him, Jacob, you need to get back to Bethel. You need to get back to that place where we met. And God may be saying to you, so maybe you need to just recognize, first of all, that your relationship with God can be so much more. If you've never had that relationship, then you need, you need to come to Bethel. 
not just this building that's called Bethel Free Baptist Church, but you need to come to the place where God is when you can humble yourself. Yes, he built an altar. God's not looking for you to build an altar. He's looking for you to humble himself, humble yourself before him, to recognize him for who he is. Maybe today you need to recognize either that you've never been there or that you're away from the place you need to be, and God wants you back there. God wants you to be with him. Notice what he says in verse 2. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, God spoke to him, said, Jacob, it's time now. Get back to Bethel. God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. That's where I want you to go and that's where I want you to stay, Jacob. Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. He had to be, the first was recognition, the second is renovation. It began with a confession. Confession that there were strange gods amongst them that ought not to be there. Forgiveness, forsaking those things. He said, put those things away. Clean yourselves up. You see, it's the things of the world that will tarnish us, the gods of the world. You're not immune to them. None of us are immune to them. The problem is, is that you can't. I don't know if you've ever seen an old pig when he gets to wallowing in the mud or not, but I promise you when he comes out of that mud, there's a lot of it sticking on him. <laughs> he can come out of the mud, but the mud's still there, stuck to him. We can't wallow in the things of this world without it sticking to us. God said, Jacob, you need to recognize that you need to come back to Bethel. That's where you need to be. But then they needed to confess what was wrong with them. They needed to clean themselves up. They had allowed so many things to come into their lives that they needed to humble themselves and say, let's put these things away if we're going to go back to God. There's some things that we've allowed to get into our lives that ought not to be there. Put away those strange gods. Be clean. Change your garments. We know that, in fact, the only garments that can truly be cleaned are the garments that Jesus cleans <laughs> It's only in Jesus Christ. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. If you've gotten away from Bethel, Jesus is the one that can bring you back to Bethel. He's the one that can clean your garments. He's the one. He will. He says if, you're, if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter. The devil may try to convince you and play with your mind. It doesn't matter if you're not there where you need to be with God. Recognize it and do something about it. Confess your sins. Get that forgiveness that he's waiting to, to give you there. Forsake those things. That's what repentance is about, forsaking them, turning your back on them, leaving them behind you. Do you not realize that's what's going to destroy you? Recognition, renovation, restoration. <laughs> Notice what he says in verse 3. Let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. Do you know one of the amazing things that Jacob recognized there is that, man, he had gone out of the way. He had gotten away from God. He had left Bethel. He had done all these things wrong in his life. His people had all these, these strange gods amongst them and everything else, but he knew that God had been with him all the time. 
that God had never forsaken him. He knew that God was there and he knew that God was ready to restore him right then. Let's go to Bethel and get there because I know God's never left me. I know that God will restore that relationship to me. I just want you to know this morning, you know, God is such a loving, merciful, gracious God. We come up with all these words, but do we realize in ourselves that when we've been to Bethel, when we've been in that place where we've met with God and we've turned and we've gone away, I don't care whether it's self-will or the world or whatever that it might be, do we realize that God said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I'm always here for you. Is he calling you to come back to Bethel, come back to that relationship, come back and enjoy his presence and know that he's there, hear that still small voice knowing that God cares about every part of your life, will you understand God is here today? God is in this place today, and God is calling you. If you've drifted away, I promise you, he doesn't want you to stay out there. He wants you to truly know that relationship for all it's been. Don't sacrifice it. And if you've never been there, that's the whole reason he's done everything, folks. (laughs) He came, he suffered, he died on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could have your own Bethel, your own place of meeting with God and knowing because Jesus Christ is your mediator. Jesus Christ is the one that gives you that access to God. And he did all that he did so that you could have that access. And today, if you've never been in his presence, can be today through Jesus Christ. And if you have been, wouldn't you rather be in that place of blessing, of knowing God's presence, rather than drifting out there somewhere all on your own? Father, I know that, Lord, that as you've spoken to my heart through these simple words, Lord, I pray that today you'd help us to understand, Lord, these, these three really simple thoughts, you know, Where is our Bethel? Is there a place where that we have met? We may know the geographical place, but even more important than that is knowing the the spiritual place where we've met with you, where we communed with you, where, Lord, our, our lives was changed like never before. Father, if we've been there, maybe today there's some here today that need to go there that have never been there. I pray you'd work in their hearts, but... Lord, I feel there's there's probably some that have been there, but, boy, they know they're not there now. They've left Bethel. They're out there in the world somewhere, and they're not in the place that they can truly know your presence and know your voice anymore. They can examine themselves as to why they've gotten there, but, Lord, more importantly is how can they get back? Help them to recognize today First of all, recognize and be honest about their situation. And Lord, if, they're, if they'll truly recognize that, I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to be willing to repent, turn around and turn back from their ways and head back to Bethel. Lord, knowing that when they get there, that you're there. You've never left. You've been with them all the time. And Lord, you're eager to restore them to that place once again. These things we ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. <music> 